You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And I'm Matt Duncan out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And we thrive on the support of our fans, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. So for episode 14, we've got a little bit of follow-up. You want to start us off, Matt? Um, yeah, real quick, we were talking about guilty pleasures last time, and just something that I... Yeah, remembered after, after recording was that in your brother's film, Detective, 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 um, there were some jokes or one joke about REM. And I remember while watching that, like live tweeting about this, like, Hey, I, I like REM <laughs> and still getting some, some bashful messages back from, from one of the actors. And I think just himself, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure anymore, but, um, yeah, I still like them. Please. Yeah. Please. I mean, I, when I play rock band, I, I do like me some Orange Crush. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good song. Yeah. And, and another thing real quick about Coldplay, there's just a little funny video in the show notes. I'm not going to spoil it. It's real short. Just uh, check out the show notes. Just for <laughs> it this is little perfect. It, it's the kind of thing you want looped. You just yeah. want to see it over <laughs> and over. Um, and then, you know, while, while it's on the ground, why not kick title a little bit more? Um, so you, you link this, this, uh, super cut of the worst moments of the title press conference. And, uh, this video is a little two minute. It's kind of amazing how much terribleness is in this video. <laughs> yeah. It really reminded me of the, uh, E3 2010 press conference of Konami, which was equally awkward. So I don't remember that. Can you do you have any like a, a highlight reel of what happened in that? Um it's basically the same but with video games. And <laughs> uh, this <laughs> the same like awkwardly talking talking into a microphone like this yeah. Yeah, and, and trying to get the crowd to clap and applaud and uh cheer for whatever they were showing. Just, I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna link this in the show notes as well. I'm gonna find a link for that. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So yeah, on this title one, that that was me doing an impression. Um, there's just all this hype, but then this weird forced excitement that seemed to be like, it didn't seem very genuine, which yeah. is funny considering these are the artists saying, this needs to be something from the heart, from real artists. And then they're all on the mic going like, yeah <laughs> this is this is great this is and then you've got those like backstage shots of of them going like yeah this is the thing everybody wanted and we've got high quality video with this is a game changer and <laughs> well last time i i looked on youtube there were hd videos there and i'm not sure where's the difference there yeah does title do 60 1080p 60 <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe they're streaming uncompressed avis <laughs> and then during part of the video there was this moment where they showed like the the mobile app and they tap the offline button like it's like the most amazing feature idea of all time it was such a such a dramatic moment <laughs> i was just really waiting for the for the music to drop out for a second <laughs> to come back in you won't believe this feature that literally every other app has <laughs> Um, but I think that the best moment for me was when there, it was like they were signing the Declaration of Independence or something, but, uh, for some reason, when Madonna signs it, she's gotta lift her whole leg onto the table. 
and then sign it. <laughs> Gotta stay relevant somehow. <laughs> Gotta lean into that signature. <laughs> I'm I'm just waiting for the MLG montage of that video. Uh, well, title's title. Let's see if we can get some more news out of that next time. I'm sure this is going to be something that's happening. Okay, then for some more cable bullshit. Um, we talked about this in length in, in uh, earlier episodes. I think we name-dropped Monster Cables a few times there. And yeah, they've got a contender now. This uh, requisite audio engineering. They've got the silver cable. If you have a mastering studio, this is necessary. Honestly, um, throw all your preamps out that are worth $10,000. As long as you've got this cable, everything's fine. <laughs> uh, I love because they, they say it's a, a trolley great upgrade for your sound. There's typos yeah. all over this website, and which doesn't mean it has to be a bad product, but it's it's a good red flag that this is hacked together by some dude. Just just to get some prizes going, um, I'm on the page with the microphone XLR ki- cables, and we've got 60 feet, which is 18.28 meters, for one thousand and five dollars. Wow, that cheap. Um, I do love at the top they describe, you know, whoever is speaking because this isn't like the guy identifies himself, but there's just this, the speaker and he says, for years I have been, I have not been too excited about silver because it often sounded tizzy or jazzy on the top end. I don't like my cable sounding jazzy. I don't know about you. No, no. That's why it switched to gold a few years back. Everything's gold. This cable... This cable is quite different. Response is incredibly smooth with the top and bottom end that seemed that seemed to extend for another octave in both directions. Not hyped, just extended. <laughs> yeah, it, it it naturally extends in those frequencies that we don't hear at all as human beings. <laughs> yeah. But it does so, and it doesn't hype them. I I can tell it doesn't hype them. It's just extended. It's very real. It's beautifully transparent. Um yeah, are these this kind of scam is never going away because there's always going to be someone who just has some money and wants to give it to someone else for something terrible. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's got to be one person who buys that thirty feet pigtail for five hundred dollars because <laughs> you know pigtails. Uh, so if if you're at all interested in in professional audio, you got to look at this site and laugh. And then please yeah. don't support this guy by giving him money. <laughs> so there was a new study that came out that uh, apparently you stop listening to new music at age 33. So I only got a couple years left and then just whatever I'm stuck with is all I'm listening to. Um, presumably because you get into that age, you're not in school, you don't have a bunch of people showing you new music constantly, you're not competing in the social web as much you're competing to be rich or something else um and supposedly this happens even earlier for parents because you know you're just at home with your baby and then you're like ah who cares about new music um and this seems pretty reasonable like i feel like this is a really true study that most people do kind of freeze um after college at some point there's just like this moment where i just listen to what i already know i like and I'm done exploring. Do you think you'll fit this trend, though? I don't think I will. But um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's music and with 
with online services it's too ubiquitous for me to to not get exposed to new music um when when i read this headline i was also thinking like okay so at like age 33 you just uh you have your catalog and you're just shuffling that and getting nothing new in there but um a little down they they quote from the study it's that yeah first of all they they discover less familiar music um that they didn't hear as early teens so more or less it's like i was i would be going back and finding things from the 90s that i didn't hear back then that i'm discovering so so to say it's um it's basically new music that you're still discovering it's just not new music in the chronological sense that it's from the from the latest uh i know from the 2020s when i'm <laughs> hopefully gonna reach 30 <laughs> and then there's this nice note in here too that uh, they found that teenagers pretty much just listen to pop music and then it's in their 20s there's this big spike of exploration and then then yeah. that levels off in your 30s so um something for the, for the 20s you you get to own music discovery um as far as an age group and that's why it's so important for us uh for them to to market to us yeah the, the 18 to 35 um in my experience it's really true it's it's in your 20s when you're finally your own man and you're you you just have all this newfound freedom and maybe you actually have some money now too um and you're just like all right let's do this let's let's look around let's find some music yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited to see how, how these things develop because i know that for the for maybe the last 10 years i've been discovering a lot of things from the 70s the 80s and sometimes 90s in other periods of times i'm i'm looking around what's what's new like really new right now so um i think i'll be jumping around a bit depending on what genres i like and some genres are more prevalent in in like the 80s than in the 2000s so it i think it depends on that as well so we've got something to mourn here um groove shark is shutting down or has shut down uh last week have you ever used groove shark I did many, like five years ago, and then I forgot about it. Yeah. What was your experience while you were losing uh, using it? So well, I was losing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm losing it. Um, it it always seemed poorly tagged, like just a random mess of stuff. But almost anything you wanted, you could find there. So mm-hmm. I think in a in a certain era before Spotify really came into its own. It was really nice to be able to hop on Groove Shark and you could grab an embed code or a share link and uh, use your anything messaging platform and not a music specific messaging <laughs> platform and uh, send that link to anyone. And it was just kind of a nice, you know, if you didn't want to send a YouTube video with, you know, 128 kbps encoding of the audio, um, you could send Groove Shark and hopefully it'd be a little better. It wouldn't be lossless, but that's okay because that doesn't matter. Um, did it do offline? <laughs> and I, I remember there was a, <laughs> did it do offline? I remember there used to be a, uh, tiny song was like a short URL linker for Groove Shark. And it, I don't know, that was like another era, but it was like early on in the, wait, I can just share a song and then someone else can listen to it and it's the whole song. Instead so of, everything on there was user contributed. Yeah. And it and it looked like it. <laughs> so that's more or less like the big difference to services like Spotify. So people were just uploading their the whole hard drive of music to there and um sending it to other people and everybody could um yeah, everybody could 
get access to those songs or was it like all private sharing um i my understanding is pretty much anyone could have access to those songs which is probably why they got shut yeah, down <laughs> what could probably go wrong there? <laughs> so um yeah apparently they were like working under the the same way that that youtube is doing it so they are not responsible for other people uploading illegal th or copyrighted things there as long as they would take them down on the dmca takedown act right. and that happened but yeah then they kind of fucked up by uploading copyrighted material themselves that's what <laughs> i read which sparked this whole shutting down thing right now Now, so if you go to GrooveShark.com, they have this like really simple white text on a, a, a dark gray background. And uh, there's this sense when I'm reading this apology that this was part of the settlement or whatever, you yeah. know, legal terms that they, they were forced to write this apology admitting fault on their website. Um, I can just picture the gun to their head as they go, that was wrong. We apologize without reservation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just found a headline here that uh, Universal said GrooveShark bosses uploaded music themselves. So I guess that's what, yeah, that that's the point where Universal, all the music, uh, the big music players were like, okay, this is too much, guys. We've now find a way to, to kick you in the ass here. Yeah, um, you can't claim safe harbor anymore for yeah. user content. This is probably me being a jerk, but... I haven't thought about GrooveShark in years and I it just feels like okay I guess I'm sad that it's gone but I have literally a bunch of other options for the same service so the market is not suffering for its category of product Is there was there anything did they have an offline button was there anything special about GrooveShark <laughs> I'm not sure I don't know I, mean, I think it's just that you could put anything on there that you couldn't find on other platforms Yeah, so I guess you might get weird alternate versions or live show recordings that aren't going to show up on Spotify. Yeah, and I guess that everybody could ev put everything on there, so that means there's a very low bar for independent artists joining it. So with with um, yeah, something like Spotify, you have to go through a distributor to to get your songs on there. I mean, YouTube, everybody can use that. So GrooveShark was kind of the middle ground there where everybody could be, and it's just for music. Yeah, though we'll have to circle back to YouTube because aren't they doing some new stuff where you have to sign up as an artist to get revenue share on the ads and stuff? Yeah, there's something developing there. Um, it's still not really clear how that's going to work. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to find out sooner or later because my distributor is taking part in that as well. But um, yeah, it's it's not really been clear. So there were rumors about, yeah, you can't upload your own music anymore on YouTube unless you were like putting it into this music key service. But a lot of rumors there. Nothing's really clear. As soon as we get news on that, we're going to cover that here on the show. <laughs> And then you just release your music as always a music video or, or always as soundtrack to a different kind of video. And then yeah, you, probably you circumvent that. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've already had the, the moment where my distributor started using content, content ID and, um, we, we didn't, so, so we had to whitelist the channels that were okay with, uh, they were allowed to use my music or our music from our bands. And there was a brief period where this time overlapped where the whitelist wasn't updated yet, but my music was already in content ID. 
And so Lars's YouTube channel got flagged for using my music. <laughs> Thankfully, we we could we could clear that up and everything's fine now. But um, yeah, you got to be really really careful with things like that. Okay, next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about using orchestra instruments or just orchestra samples or anything orchestra-like in a mix or in a song and or listening to songs that incorporate like orchestra instruments string sections or whatever you can can put in an orchestra that works i mean t today there's you, you really gotta you gotta make it or the, the question is do you have to differentiate between people who are using like real orchestras or sample orchestras can you even hear the difference most of the time is there any any song that comes to mind where it's say oh this is this is a great song but you can really hear it's like a, an artificial orchestra or just in general what's your opinion yeah well i i kind of go back to the beatles with the way they would mix in very large productions into some of their songs um or even just something as as small as eleanor rigby just kind of exciting the idea in my mind of of how much grander you can make something sound with an orchestra because You know, an orchestra, yeah, it's just a bunch of instruments, but it, it just spans every range and timbre. And I think that's part of the appeal of it is um, you can stretch to every frequency range and every intensity level with the instruments in an orchestra, um, whether you're doing something quiet or something bombastic and, and you know, like Star Wars or something. And um, I don't know, historically, I mean, don't you think orchestras would kind of be a sign of you've made it because you can afford to book an orchestra to come and play on your record? And maybe that's not... I mean, yeah, if you recorded a live orchestra, that'd still probably be true. You'd, you'd have to have the resources or the connections to, to make that happen. But, you know, you can sample or you can sort of fake that stuff. Uh, and so maybe the meaning has changed a little bit um, of how much grander it makes your song. But I don't know, like I, I'm sure there are horrible uses of orchestra to beef up a song like the, you know, the, the classic pop song, but we threw strings in it. So now it's like huge and crazy now. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. What do you think? I know, I, I know what you mean. It's like, um, using an orchestra or just parts of an orchestra really fills up the song. It's just to, to bring not even, not only the ambience up. I mean, you can put them in the foreground, like right in the middle. Like, um, it's, it's really something that I like to use sometimes when I'm in a pinch and I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get something in here that just lifts everything up. String section done. That's it. <laughs> I've done so in the, in, in the past. And the thing is, I, I think it always fits. Like in the most electronic songs that I've made, sometimes just the string section works. I don't know why that is. It's just, uh, it fits in there so well. Maybe it's the, the texture of the sound, maybe other instruments from an orchestra. I mean, I wouldn't put a bra brass section in there probably, but, um, there's, there's really points where I could say that a mix or, or a song was really elevated to another place by using an, a string section and, Yeah, so far, of course, I've only used sampled instruments. Um, I, I think I'll never have access to a real orchestra. And I don't really think that's so necessary anymore. There, there are a lot of good orchestra libraries in, on the internet um, for, for not thousands of dollars, for maybe a few hundreds of dollars that are already really, really great. Yeah. 
Um, do you have any favorite examples of mixing orchestral sounds into non-orchestral music? I mean, I can think of, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins song, Disarm, um, uses strings and bells and, and kind of to really amp up the intensity of, of that song. And while, um, even though I've never been able to quite love Smashing Pumpkins because his voice sounds so constipated to me. I used to be a little boy. Um, but that song is still magnificent and, and the use of the orchestral pieces and it really adds a lot to that song. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, what comes to mind is These New Puritans, which I've featured before as a pick of the week, the album Hidden, their first album. I mean, they're kind of doing like art rock, so um, they're experimental by default, but their use of instrumental um, or orchestral instruments, it's it's not like they feature a, a full uh, orchestra, but if you see some of their um, radio performances, they, they got a small section of brass instruments and cellos maybe. Um, working there that, that really fits in there. And just the same with Sigur Ross, maybe. I mean, they like to play live with a whole, or not a whole orchestra, but also like a big section of string brass and, and, and the usual stuff. And I mean, we all know the effect that Sigur Ross kind of gets with, with that sound. Yeah. I also think of, uh, the Radiohead song, How to Disappear Completely. And are you familiar with that song? And- has this uh a thing I don't mind, yeah. This sweeping orchestra like doo like that comes over and over. Mm-hmm. Um that wasn't a great rendition of it, but um <laughs> and it just builds and swells over the song until like the orchestra basically overwhelms the soft acoustic core radiohead part of the music. And uh just yeah. having that wash over it is just makes it sound so huge and so powerful and Makes the song almost like science fiction y to me. So, I, uh, any songs by yourself that you, uh, that you were at a point where you're like, okay, let's, let's put some, some orchestra in here. Well, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of mixing, you know, a few individual pieces into some songs. And, um, in the first Genetic Engines album, uh, uh, one of my favorite tracks on it is, uh, Feels Like Death Might Win. And I got to play with a flute player and, and figure out different arpeggiated parts and, um, some more legato parts to it. And immediately when I layered that in the song, it, it kind of took it to another level. It, um, cause like you go through the first verse and the chorus is kind of like this little one line stinger at the end of the verse. And then when we get back into the second verse, the flutes just, they totally elevate the song. Yeah. And uh, similarly, um, on the first track, I got a trumpet player that came in in the middle and another moment of like, oh, this song just got, like the song I already liked just got so much better when that thing came in and was amazing. Yeah, I think it's a t- typical thing to do when you've got like this moment where you want to elevate the second verse. So you, you got to keep it special somehow. You can't always repeat the same thing. So... Yeah, let's add something on top and whatever you do, flutes, general woodwind, brass or strings always fits in there because you can always play them like legato. You can always just have like one little melody line on top, not necessarily a big melody, just like holding a note for the whole bar just usually makes it greater in and all of itself. So, yeah, I guess I'm still very, very positive about the use of orchestra in in pop music or in 
um, even more experimental. Um, I do think the No Twist has done some great stuff working with an orchestra on a couple of their albums. Um, it's it's grown over time where they've they've built it in more and more. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, the song. Let me look it up real quick. Oh yeah, so it's the song "Where in This World" from the 2008 release, "The Devil You and Me," and uh, there's 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 a full string section that. Um, they've always been really good at mixing the electronic and the, and the orchestral, and um. and also I'm I don't really remember if we talked about this on the show or off the show, but I recently found out that for Family Guy they're using a real orchestra to to um, yeah all these little musical passages and and um, transitions to other scenes they're all done with a live orchestra for I think for each and every episode or at least they. I, I know that they score them for each and every episode. Um, so there's, there's some really thing, dynamic things in there. Doesn't Seth MacFarlane participate in that? Like, I mean, I know he, yeah. he does all, like most of the voices and, and sings, but yeah, um, he's a composer as well, I think. And um, I mean, he likes to, we, when you watch family guy, there's always some, some kind of musical influence that you can notice. They are just, they just burst out into a song. And I think he just wants to, um, live that out a little bit in in that in that way, but yeah. So they they are actually using a real orchestra there. I can link that in the show notes. A video where uh, from from that session where they're recording, and they've got this big screen where the episode is playing, and they really like when they are scoring a film for for the episode. So um, I know that Family Guy it gets a lot of flag for being kind of lowbrow sometimes, but the the work that goes into there, I think that you gotta have to give credit to Seth MacFarlane there. Absolutely. So you've started this uh, new method of releasing and, and hopefully financing your, your music work. Um, so talk us through this model you've got going. I was recently asked if I had a Patreon um, because I'm always like, I'm always releasing my music um, in YouTube videos of other people, so to say. And I didn't have a Patreon, but just getting asked that, I was like, yeah, I mean, why not? What could, what, there's nothing to lose there. So, um, with that, of course, I had to, I had to make the decision of, yeah, how, how do you get financed with that? So with Patreon, you've, you've got this method of being financed like, um, every month. So people are more or less subscribing to your stuff, uh, on a monthly basis. Although, with Patreon, there's always this thing of everything you release should always be public. It's just uh, another way of supporting the artist. And the other way is um, that every time you post a creation, that you can say, okay, this is a paid creation, and um, and 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 then people get charged for that, so to say. At first, I was thinking about doing it monthly, but the problem is that you're not always doing the same amount of work every month. And especially if it's just a hobby, something on the side, I can't always promise to make two or three songs every month. Sometimes it's just one time. Sometimes it's going to be five. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to go with the other model where every time I, I post a new song, this is it. This is a paid creation. And... um yeah, the subscription like gets charged to the Patreons. Mm -hmm. And I promised to do um, around two songs a month and to have a quick turnaround for that. Um, I, I know I like to get really, really perfectionist when, when doing a song. And I was, I was like, okay, I can't release this song for two months because I have to tweak every little parameter. And I, to, to keep myself from doing that, then I started to, to say, okay, I'm just gonna release those songs and, call them finished for now 
And um, the thing is that you always get something fresh out there. So people are, you're always on the radar. The problem that I always had was I was working on some on an album or an EP for a year or so. And within that year, people forget about you. Usually, if you don't have a presence in any other way, you're, you're easily forgotten. That's That's the thing today with everybody doing music and such great music out there. I mean... Um, I know for myself that sometimes I forget about artists that I like to listen to and then, oh yeah, they still exist. Oh cool. They've got a new album. <laughs> and so that's one thing. You always got some fresh material out there. And what I do is just, I, I release them all after each other. So like singles, there's not a collection that I do. And once I noticed that, oh, these five great uh, songs here, they were great together. They're like in the same genre and um, they have the same theme. Or maybe if I'm starting writing lyrics again, they have some topics that interweave somehow that I can say, okay, this is going to be an EP. And when I release uh, or when I make the last song of that EP and release that song, I'm going to release the EP with it. So um, people don't get charged double for me releasing an EP of songs they already know, but they get a, because they get a new song in there anyway. And while doing that EP, I'm going to like remix and remaster those songs and get those little parameter, parameter tweakings in again that I'm <laughs> going to work on for a few months because, um, yeah, the whole, ball, the most, most of this album is already going to be public and uh, it's only the last song that's going to be missing, but people don't know about that. So, um, there's always something fresh. I can work on it in my time, but, um, yeah, there's, it's not this long wait period of nothing being in public. Yeah. And there's always going to be people that are still just discovering you. So even when you release that album, it can still be a fresh, new, complete album for most people. Right. Um, right. There's going to be songs on there that they didn't know because they weren't following me when I released it like a year before that. Exactly. No, it seems like this is a, a really interesting model for the, the realities of being a musician today where there there is so much more noise in the market. There's so many more artists producing and distributing because distribution yeah. has been democratized, basically. And uh, you, you have to find other things to compete on, not just your distribution deal that gets you in stores and in front of people's eyeballs. Um, you, you got to find a way to stay present and, and visible and active and, um, something I haven't done for years, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, ex I'm rearranging some things in my life and I really hope to be very productive very soon. And, uh, maybe I'll be joining you on this kind of model before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. I just found it to be, um, a lot less stressful than before because I was always like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get this nailed down perfectly when i release this this is going to be final uh my my greatest fear is always people hearing something that i made that i wouldn't deem final yet <laughs> and uh, that's why i rarely send out demos i mean how many demos of my songs have i sent you in the last three years <laughs> you can probably count them on one hand yeah. uh, although i i know that i don't have to be afraid of of uh, your feedback on those songs i just i just don't like releasing uh stuff um that that I can't see to be final. So with that, I'm I'm thinking like, okay, this is this is not a demo that I'm releasing, but it's also not the completely finished product which you're going to get later on. But hey, here you go. This is also uh, this is already some some fine song that I mean I wouldn't release something that's half-assed anyway. But it's just the last ten percent of the song that takes up ninety percent of working on this song. Yeah, that's what I like keep, like to keep for later than for for collecting those in an, in a release then yeah 
Um, and then there's also the sense that when you show someone a demo, no matter what it is, they, they kind of cling to that. And then if you change something later, you're kind of like George Lucas editing Star Wars and people yeah. just hate you. And you're like, but it's better. But they don't see the whole span of changes. They just, it sounds like yeah. I'm defending George Lucas right now, but <laughs> <laughs> um, they only see this thing I liked got changed. They don't see, oh, this thing that started from nothing and has gradually been changing the whole time got changed a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. And I'm 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 gonna make it a thing that the old versions are always gonna be available somehow, and um, so so nothing gets lost in the process. And um, I I really like that somehow. I mean, it's it's kind of the same way that um, Kojima liked to re-release his games every um in in sub with subtle changes. And um, because right now I'm, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid 2, and that uh, on PC the it has some differences to the original version and then there's the HD collection now that also has some changes to it. And, um, I, th I think it's nice to see that, that the little differences and it makes it, um, gives it like replay value, both the games and, and now the music. So, um, it's always something to go back to and say, Oh, this is how it sounded before the release. This is how it sounds in an album. And, and it's also sometimes you have like single versions and album versions that work differently because they have to be, they have to be in a series of songs. I just have, or they just have to work together. So, um, what I can do there is live out the thing that I do is having intros that take up 30% of the song because it's the <laughs> single version. But if I put it on the album, I'm going to do transitions. So it, it gets a little shorter. It's basically a way to remix your own songs for some time. And then, um, having it all out there and always having something out there and I, I think that's one of the greatest advantages of this is always having something fresh out there yeah and you're also trying more things out for a live show because now you have different versions of the song and you can be like oh right we we need a dramatic entrance to a song for this part of the set so right. I've, we already have it. Let's use that version. And then, oh, we need to go quick. We need to hit him with three songs in a row or something. Yep. Um, no, that's interesting. You should uh, have you report back uh, as you progress through this business model, this um, not just a business model, but uh, a <laughs> way of being as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really more about the process for me. So, um, I, I kind of got to that point through the request from uh, of Patreon, but uh, yeah, right now the Patreon thing is just a bonus on top. So um, it it got me to this point, but I'm not doing it for the Patreon. Most of, it's it's just a way to get me motivated and to be like, okay, so every two weeks I want to have something out there. Right on. So picks of the week. You want to start us off with yours? Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, my pick of the week is from a video game, from a PlayStation video game that, um, yeah, supposedly was never released in the US. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> I, I saw it back in the days, um, where you, when you could borrow video games, but I never got around to it. Um, yeah, it turns out I should have borrowed it because I would have loved it back in the days. So it's one of those weird Japanese music games, not like, uh, Beat Mania or something from Konami, but, um, it's about, a yeah, a rabbit traveling along a line and you have to dodge or jump across obstacles through timed button presses. And 
it's all synced to music and songs and um there there's a big history of music games coming from from the uh from from Japan there this this though has some very unique music so even in even in that realm where there's a lot of experimental stuff going on and i mean listening to k-pop or j-pop still t sometimes sounds weird to me although i should have gotten used to it by now <laughs> and um yeah this song is just pure japanese weirdness and english lyrics and um but but also in, uh, interesting instrumentation and um it's it's ha it has a very sparse mix and in the end it gets so convoluted and chaotic um but what i love most about it is the the vocal melody in in the verse so i'm just gonna play that short sample right here so what did you think about the song so very enjoyable song and uh, i think my favorite thing was it, it sounds like almost like a photocopier or some kind of machine a polaroid Yeah. I guess it would oh, be. I should have mentioned it. The song is called Polaroid. I guess that makes a lot of sense that it'd be Polaroid. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it all makes sense now. Um, the, the use of that sound rhythmically was really pleasing in the song. And, um, it is kind of, it's almost like a prototypical, like, deer hoof song or something, um, with, without the rock and roll. And, uh, um, yeah, very experimental. And, uh, I was just thinking as you were describing the way the game works, um, really, these kind of games are, are very uh, prototypes for modern mobile infinite runner type games. Yeah. Um, but without the in-app purchases. and uh, <laughs> In-app savings. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm kind of sad this game didn't come to the U.S. I was looking on the Wikipedia page and it sort of confirmed my my ignorance um, <laughs> that uh, it wasn't released until 2014. Apparently on the PlayStation network, they did a digital release of this classic game. Um, but it's one of those weird things where like, why, why didn't you try to sell it more places? <laughs> you put it out in Europe and Asia, but not the U S did. Maybe you guys were playing other games at that time. We, we only wanted to play Parappa the Rapper and um, yeah. um Lammer Jammy, but not this. Yeah. So what about your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is uh, on point with the, the orchestra topic of this episode, even though I didn't, I wasn't thinking that when I chose it, but it, you know, it dovetails nicely with that. Um, and it's uh, Jeremy Enoch's Explain. So Jeremy Enoch was the lead singer of Sunny Day Real Estate and is sort of recognized as one of the, the godfathers of emo, though he would never claim that. But um, um, good emo, if there is such a thing, not, not late 90s, terrible stuff. Um, indie emo. <laughs> indie emo. And uh, <laughs> I, I was always a big fan, you know, through my brothers, just, you know, copying their musical tastes when I was, you know, in junior high, um, started listening to Saturday Night Real Estate and, and just loved the hell out of them. And, you know, all the teen angst and all the, 
the dissatisfaction in life that you can feel at that age when you don't understand anything. And uh, <laughs> Sunday Day Real Estate still kind of holds a special place in my heart. And so um, at some point in the uh, the career, Sunday Day Real Estate broke up and Jeremy made this solo album, um, which he had a 15-piece orchestra play on. And uh, this album is just magnificent, and it's still one of my favorite albums. And uh, he's actually working on a new album now, and he's he's doing some modern uh, campaign. It's not it's not Patreon, but he's using one of these services to raise money. Music pledge, probably. Yeah, a lot of artists use that. And uh, so this song explain um, it. It's almost like I don't know. It's like Nick Drake. It's like. Uh, a lot of singer-songwriters, but there's so much passion in the song, and his voice is really central to it. Um, there's almost a, a kind of lo-fi distortion to the song um, when when he really lets loose and, and, and sings it out. And uh, it's like the, the recording kind of winces and cracks in a really satisfying way um, as he, he screams this out. And um, the song's very bright and, and major key, but still somehow very sad at the same time. And then, as we discussed, the orchestral elements really add another layer to this song and, and elevate it a bit. So let's just listen to a little bit of Jeremy Enoch explain. So what did you make of this song? Yeah, what you was talking about, this this distortion in that is lo-fi-ness, I, I also found that to be very pleasing. So whenever he got this 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 roughness in his voice, um, it, it worked really well. But what mostly caught my ear was um, I was listening to that through the YouTube link you sent me and um, had I not looked at the album cover, which looks a bit dated, um, I would have thought it was a, year, a song from two years ago or so. It sounds kind of timeless, or the composition itself. It sounded so timeless. I could imagine this song being written any time in the in the last fifty years or so. And um, uh, the, yeah, then I found out it was something like from the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Am I right in that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it fit in somewhere, anywhere in there. So it was a very pleasing song, and the the way it the the composition works it's yeah i i don't have names on my tongue right now but i can imagine other artists that i know that are that would have written this song like two years ago or 80 no not 80 40 (laughs) years ago um it would work really well so i I really love it when songs are this timeless where you can can't really put them into an era except for maybe the the way the recording sounds um, which is going to be really interesting to see in the following years uh, now that I think recording techniques have kind of plateaued in a way that uh, you can't really tell them apart anymore, anymore from, from decades. So um, if we're going to get a lot more timeless music from now on, so people are not going to say, oh, this sounds so 80s. Well, <laughs> it's, it's probably all going to sound the same in some way from the mix perspective. Yeah. So as always, we will stick these picks of the week on our Spotify playlist, which is linked in our show notes. 
and uh no groove shock anymore sorry guys yeah we can't groove shark it um so let's do this little end of the show rundown thank you so much for listening to bits and pieces episode 14 you can find show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 14 um with links to all the articles a title supercut and uh uh, the Coldplay video, you got to watch that thing. We didn't spoil this little, you know, it's it's 10 seconds. You you have 10 seconds. Go watch the Coldplay. It could be a vine. Yeah, it, it'd be a great vine. I hope it's a vine. You, you should make it a vine. Um, and uh, while you're there, you might as well subscribe. So we have an RSS and a, an iTunes button on every page of our site. So you can use that to subscribe from your mobile device. Um, you could use Pocket Cast or what's your favorite Android app? Podcast Addict. Podcast Addict. Or if you're on iOS, there's a built-in podcast app. Or my favorite is Overcast.fm. It's a great choice for listening to podcasts. And then you can just use our RSS buttons and subscribe. That way you get new episodes every week. It's free. It's all totally free. Um, and you'll not even have to think about it. And your phone will be ready to play our new episodes every week. Um, we love feedback. We're both on Twitter. Um, I'm at Medwards Music on Twitter and Matt's at Echo Locks. And, uh, you can also find links to our Twitter accounts on our Sunrise Robot page. And, you know, tweet at us, ask us questions. We love all that. Um, if you really love the show, you can become a Patreon. We have a Patreon. Um, you can head to patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And, uh, depending on the level you donate, uh, you might actually get your name uh, as part of history, uh, either as part of our website or mentioned on air. And with that, we'd like to extend our love and thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Langa for being amazing Patreon supporters. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>